The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The guided meditation in preparation. Spend another two minutes in silence, but see if you can really be here in this moment with yourself, really noticing, getting familiar with a lived experience of here and now, feeling, sensing, recognizing how you are. And then now, turn your mind to remembering some time in your life where you felt happy, peaceful, perhaps safe, perhaps contented. Some time in your life when you felt a sense of well-being that was maybe palpable or clear.
Perhaps you can remember the circumstances the sights, maybe a visual sense of the time and place. Doesn't have to be dramatic happiness, but something that you can remember and And then see if you can remember how it felt in your body, in your mind, in your heart to have this sense of well-being, happiness. What parts of your body were activated or energized Where in your body do you have the feelings of well-being? Or what was the sense of your mind? And with this memory that helps you maybe connect with some feeling or sense of well-being, Now let go of the memory and see if you can tap into or evoke something about that feeling of well-being here and now. Maybe just a faint reminder of it, but some sense of well-being, happiness, contentment, not by thinking about it so much as relaxing, (coughs) relaxing into the possibility of well-being or peace, ease. Perhaps reminding yourself that at this moment, here, you're relatively safe. Not much is needed of you. Be relaxed. And to whatever degrees there's a sense of well-being or contentment or peace now, can you feel it in your body, in your mind, your heart?
And the feeling, this whatever hints or intimation of feeling well-being or peace that's available now. Can you perhaps get a sense that it has no boundaries? There is no physical edge or limit to that feeling. And then see if you can generate some feeling of goodwill, some feeling of kindness, tenderness, caring, some feeling of goodwill. comes out of your well-being. It rides on the winds of your well-being. as a sweet smell might float out outwards, let your goodwill float outwards from you out into that diffuse area beyond the edge of your body, out into the room. general sense of goodwill, not for anybody in specific. Somehow radiating from your chest perhaps, or from your heart, or from your body in all directions.
a sense of well-being and goodwill, it makes it easier to breathe easier. Your breath can be a little bit easier with a sense of safety, well-being, and an attitude of goodwill in all directions. And to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So welcome, and welcome to our Dharma practice day on the theme of loving kindness. And for those of you who might be new, the Dharma practice days are a day for exploring, practicing, discussing some particular theme of practice. Uh, and, and this year it's the, what's called the divine abodes, the four qualities of love that are championed in Buddhism loving-kindness, sympathetic joy, compassion, and equanimity. And, um, and each month we'll do, you know, to explore these different qualities. Today it's loving-kindness. And um, it's also a day for community. Uh, there's not, sometimes not a lot of chance here at IMC to actually practice together with people in such a way that we're in conversation with them and share our practice with them and... Um, you know, share ourselves with them in terms of our practice and some of these themes which are sometimes touched on important areas of life that we seldom have a chance to explore in ordinary life and conversations and discussion with people. So uh, we'll do a variety of things today. We'll do some meditation, maybe a little bit more than we usually do in these days. And uh, I'll do some teaching and we'll do some discussion and some exercises together. Um, 
one of the things I'd like to do is to uh, explore the, um, the most, most, probably the most famous discourse the Buddha gave on loving kindness, which is called the Discourse on Loving Kindness, the Metta Sutta. Um, I thought I would talk a little bit uh, now, and then we'll take a break, and then we do some more meditation. So, um, loving kindness is um, the word is metta, and the word is a cognate to the word mitta, which means friend. And so, the question is: we don't quite know what the best translation is in English. Uh, something, but being a friend to people, being a friend to others, um, is in the in the mix. It also um, sometimes been likened to the attitude that a parent might have to a young child um, when the child is well and happy and enough. And so there's this kind of certain kind of love even or caring um, that the parent feels. It also, um, uh, so sometimes in uh, English, it's uh, translated as goodwill, uh, occasionally as... Um, uh, f- friendliness, sometimes in, uh, most commonly is loving kindness, sometimes just as kindness, and very occasionally just as love. Uh, it's a it's a virtue. It's a attitude. It's a feeling. It's an intention that a person can cultivate and develop, which is nice because uh, we all maybe have some capacity to feel kindness, friendliness, love. Um, and often if we don't somehow focus on it, it's just whatever we bump into in the course of the day. Circumstances come together in such a way that you feel very, just really friendly and kind and supportive and generous towards others. Um, but then you might have to, you know, um, take your car to the mechanic and it's hard to find which mechanic and then the price is more than you thought and and then, you know, you're late for your appointments and, you know, and so your natural ebullient goodwill is just not so readily available because, you know, down the kind of industrial part of town and, you know, it's like, you know, what am I doing here and these cars? And so, you know, so then we have a different feeling perhaps. So whatever happens, you know, our go along with whatever's going, you know, our feelings are influenced by what's going on around us or with us. In Buddhism, we don't leave um, some of these virtues and attitudes to chance and just what happens to occur, but uh, they can also be cultivated and developed. They can be focused on, they can be reinforced and strengthened so that they become more available, they're more likely to occur. We're reminded of them more easily. We're down there in the industrial part of town and we're wondering, you know, I left my car here, it's oily and smelly and and I don't even know how to get home from here, and they don't have a shuttle system, and and so, so it just you know it just occurs to you, oh, you know, I could walk, and while I'm walking, I could do, I could just wish kind thoughts to all the people I see. Or you're in the in the supermarket, you know, you can be standing there in line waiting to the checkout counter, and there's a lot of interesting things you can do there in your mind, at the check-in checkout counter. I mean, you could look at the National Enquirer. You could uh, be irritated at how slow the line is going. You could do competitive line standing, 
trying to look for the fastest line. You could be judging the people in front of you for what they're buying. There's a lot of choices you have what you can do. But if you've kind of uh, been cultivating or reflecting or practicing with loving kindness, uh, if that's an intention you have for yourself, you set your intention, maybe have that more part of your life, you might just remember it when you're standing there in the line. You know, I could do that also. I could be kind of thinking about or lo- focusing on the people around me and, and having the kind of thoughts or the kind of reflections or kind of something that would make me actually be more kindly disposed to them. And uh, look at that person. Um, you know, they're buying whatever, and, but they're buying a lot of it. That person must have a family or that person is really caring for... She, she can't just be buying this for herself. This person is out shopping for others and caring, caring for others and doing that. And I don't know how much she's caring for others, but there's, there's something going on here. She's connected to other people and maybe a family. And, and um, you know, it's, it's pretty nice that the person can buy these kinds of foods. I don't, maybe they're not so healthy, but, you know, it's pretty good. You know, and so, and, you know, and may this person really go home and make nurturing food and be supportive of that family and may it be so. And, and so you, you're more likely, you know, start thinking that way, not in a kind of uh, Pollyannish way, but maybe in a very simple, ordinary way where you, you have those kinds of thoughts as opposed to, what's the opposite of Pollyannish? You know, what? Cynical. cynical. Okay, so cynical, you know, how, how this, you know. Pessimistic. What? Pessimistic. Pessimistic and, you know, oh, what's the country coming to? I mean, these people are buying... I can't believe how much bacon this person's buying, you know. <laughs> you know, just, just bacon, bacon and sugar and, you know, and, you know, and so, you know, and so by the time you get out, you're just like, you know, snarling at everyone. <laughs> so it's possible to have some role, some responsibility for what our mind thinks and does and is involved in. And it's possible to tip the balance towards kindness, towards friendliness. And doing this as a practice, as an as a approach to life, is a time-honored approach in Buddhism. It's considered, I, I think, one of the cardinal or central virtues and practices and attitudes uh, of Buddhist practitioners. Um, there are other things that are maybe as important, but you know, it's probably in the top four or five virtues and attitudes that uh, we cultivate in Buddhism, are interested in. And... Um, the, um, and you go back to the time of the Buddha, you find that there's plenty of teachings that the Buddha gave on loving kindness. Uh, he didn't give a lot of, you know, like a big sermon on it, because, you know, like we have the, 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 the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness, which people take to be kind of extensive discussion about the practice of mindfulness. But there's, there's the closest thing to an extensive discussion about loving kindness practices in the Metta Sutta that we'll read. But... So there's not like a lot of discussion about it, but it keeps reappearing over and over again in the suttas, small passages here and there, small teachings here and there. And um, you get the sense that this was really important for the Buddha. It was kind of important. And for his monastics, the people who were his direct disciples he was training, um, you get a clear sense that he was expecting or encouraging them uh, to relate to each other with loving kindness and to relate to others in the world with loving kindness to have kind regard um, and to do it and to do that in um, in thought speech and action so not just to kind of sit there in your cushion and just think good thoughts for others or have good feelings 
but actually say things that are helpful for others or supportive or kind and to also do it. That would be in your actions as well. So if you look at the, the various teachings the Buddha gave on loving kindness, uh, you see that there was a number of different purposes or values or functions that loving kindness practice had. And um, it, as far as I could tell, it wasn't just a Pollyannish thing, you know, thou shalt be kind or else. And, um, and uh, you know, the kindest person wins. But rather, um, uh, you know, you could see this number of functions being given. Uh, one of them is that um, um, is given is for psychological healing in modern terminology. Uh, in the ancient terminology, they talked about using loving kindness to overcome uh, anger. Uh, uh, and the anger can be towards oneself and towards others, towards life. But sometimes there's tremendous uh, aversion and spite and, and resentment that, uh, and pain that can, someone can carry with them, sometimes you know, a condition from early in life. And there's something about loving-kindness practice that, uh, where we bring this uh, attitude of kindness, of goodwill, that sometimes can penetrate deeper than the logical level of the mind and sometimes do settle, settle some of this anger, the resentment, the, the pain of it, and um, you know, some people I, I know feel deeply healed from uh, some of their uh, deep trauma and pain from this added this practice of loving kindness. So it's you know, so another thing a reason it's done is it's partly a um, protection practice, and the Buddha taught it as a protection practice sometimes. That um, uh, one of the places uh, he talked about it was someone was attacked by, a, bitten by a poisonous snake in the ancient world. And the Buddha said, you know, one of the ways to be safer is you take and you generate and think thoughts of goodwill towards all the snakes. May the snake be happy, may it be peaceful. And if you do that, uh, you're more likely to be safe around snakes. Now that could be seen as kind of magical thinking perhaps throw yourself into a pit of vipers and start, you know, just relying on your loving kindness. It's probably not a good idea. But um, maybe, there, you know, religion often has magical thinking in it, so maybe that's part of it. But uh, uh, maybe there's also some resonance that goes on uh, with animals, and they pick up something up. And when we're afraid, anim- dogs, for example, are very tuned in to fear in people, and uh, it seems to make them more aggressive and if um, if you don't if you come across with uh, kindness and gentleness, uh, maybe some animals pick that up and they respond differently. It's certainly true for human beings that you're you. Um, there's no guarantee that being kind and having goodwill to another person is going to make make it safer, but um, uh, it's much more likely, <laughs> and that more likely counts for a lot. And so. As a part of the function of loving-kindness is safety. Uh, Another function of loving-kindness practice is uh, things like being able to sleep well, maybe have a good conscience, be able to wake wake up well. And I've done people, and I've done this, uh, to, um, before going to sleep at night, one of the last things I do is to do some loving-kindness, laying there quietly, closing my eyes, and generate loving-kindness. And I have this belief that doing that for a few minutes uh, creates a nice condition for the, the state for the mind to be in, the heart to be in, 
as you fall into sleep. And the state the mind is in as you fall asleep, I believe, sometimes has an effect or an impact on the state of your mind as you're sleeping. And uh, probably some of you have seen that, that your state of your mind during daily life will sometimes affect your dreams. Um, The... uh, you know, if you have anxious things in your daily life, you're more likely to have anxious dreams. So kind of, you're kind of setting yourself and so have, you know, it supports that. Um, another purpose for loving kindness is social harmony. And um, so, you know, as I said, the Buddha encouraged his monastics to practice loving kindness towards each other. Um, but part of the reason is it creates harmony. And the harmony, that the, the way the Buddha described harmony among his monastics uh, to live, 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 uh, practicing loving kindness in body, speech, and mind, in action, speech, and, and thoughts. Um, and if you do that, uh, you will live together um, like milk and water. And the co- uh, milk, when you pour in water, mixes with the water. And the contrast is between um, water and oil. Oil doesn't mix. So the idea is to harmonize, to come together. Um, rather than kind of, you know, be repelled. Oil, you know, gets kind of, I don't know if repelled is exactly the right word, but pulls away from, but milk joins in. So it has social harmony. Um, There's a story of um, someone coming to the Buddha who was very, uh, had a lot of animosity towards him, a lot of, was pretty critical. And uh, what the Buddha did was he generated his loving kindness. And somehow that settled the man down, convert, uh, turned his animosity to, you know, being willing, willing to approach the Buddha in a, in a kinder way. And I've seen that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I've sometimes had some hostility or anger towards other people. And um, there are times when I've been met and returned by hostility. And then it was like, you know, match and gasoline. Uh, but there were times when I've been met by someone's kindness and it just melted my hostility away. You know, just, you know, it's, it makes a big difference. Um, <clears throat> so what else? Um, so the, the last thing I'd like to mention in terms of the purpose of loving kindness practice that he gave is um, it works as a meditation practice. And so it's not just an attitude or an approach to life, but it's also an approach or a technique for meditation practice. When we would sit down and generate an attitude, thoughts, feelings, intentions of goodwill in a, in a very strong way. Um, and it, the Buddha didn't give a lot of instructions on in how to do this, but uh, he, gave, he kind of gave descriptions, if you do this, what's possible in terms of uh, a state of mind. And, and when it becomes a meditation practice, it's possible that you're, uh, you know, usually the mind jumps around a lot with a lot of different thoughts, a lot of concerns. Um, you know, maybe you can stay focused on the breath for a little while and then you start thinking about pizza, dinner, you know, or you start thinking about what happened at the mechanic, you know, and then, you know, it's kind of, or your feelings, your emotions are doing all kinds of things. I mean, you might be here and happy to be here, but there's a little knot in, knot in your stomach about, you know, what's going to happen tonight, you know, at some event that you're worried about. And, and so those thoughts come in, but also as a feeling, you know, you're kind of not quite here because your stomach is a little bit preoccupied, concerned. And, and then, 
you know, you probably some of your bladders are getting full and you're sitting here being impatient and when is Gil going to stop talking? And, and so you're kind of a little distracted by those things as well. And, uh, and so you're not really kind of unified. You're not kind of, all of who you are is not gathered around and focused on one thing. As it would be, for example, if you read a really great novel or absorbed in a really great movie. And, you know, the world falls away. And you're just kind of there and there's no other feelings or thoughts than but what's you, the, the book and being there and involved. And so you're kind of gathered, you're unified, you're collected, you're focused on that in a nice way. And some people find it very pleasant, enjoyable to get absorbed in a nice book, like that way. So uh, the upper reaches of this meditation of loving-kindness is to have that level of absorption where you're really absorbed and, and you're not fragmented, you're not divided, but all of who you are is gathered together around the feeling, the attitude, the thoughts of goodwill, of loving-kindness. And that's quite a remarkable thing to do. So it's one thing to have some goodwill, you know, and it comes and goes and maybe you act on it, but to have all of, all of what you're about for some minutes for a period of time, to be all about loving-kindness, all about goodwill, all about love, and to have it so strong and, uh, that it feels uh, almost palpable, like a feeling or a sense, and it, it feels like it, there's, there's no boundaries to it. Uh, because, you know, what are the boundaries of feelings anyway? Emotions. But there's no boundaries to it. But because it's so strong, it feels like, you know, it extends out maybe through imagination, maybe, I don't know, through what, but goes out and it seems to go out uh, in all directions and it becomes boundless. It feels like it has no limit, no boundary. It just, you know, this, it's like the main thing going on is a feeling of love, a universal love. Um, and it's quite a beautiful thing. It doesn't have to have an object. It isn't like you have to be in love with someone um, but it's just, just a kind of state of love, state of kindness, state of goodwill that just seems to radiate and radiate and flow outwards in all directions. And, um, and the heart is at rest. The mind and heart is deeply at rest or at peace in the midst of this kind of radiant kind of feeling. Um, so that's kind of, you know, at least my attempt to try to describe this kind of upper reaches of what the Buddha talked about as a meditation practice. Um, uh, when it gets to that level of as a strong meditation experience, that's when some of the, great, the most healing aspects of this practice can occur for people. Because it's something that then it's kind of like, you know, it settles away the fears that we have, the anxieties we have, the animosities we have, and it kind of feels like almost like it nourishes the, our marrow, nourishes you know our cells in some beautiful way, and allows for some deeper relaxation, some letting go. Be, and this, this is important because animosity, anger, fear, resentment, all these things are the opposite of being relaxed. And you know it involves certain kind of attention. And so these deep states of meditation allows for this deep, deep relaxation. It's very reassuring. Love is very reassuring. And so to have a meditation experience which is reassuring can sometimes make it easier to relax and let go. And then at this upper reaches of this practice, when the concentration gets quite strong and the loving-kindness gets quite strong, then the Buddha also used loving-kindness practice as a stepping stone for liberation. So he didn't, wouldn't, it wasn't that loving-kindness was the end result. It isn't like cosmic love, universal love was the end 
of Buddhist path, but rather to use that you know, the beauty and the wonderfulness of that uh, to see something about the nature of the quality of how um, um, how we're involved in constructed activity, how the mind is a conditioned phenomena, how the mind is an activity that's kind of always functioning and operating. And even though, and when there's, you know, universal kind of love feeling, it feels like, you know, boundless and seems like the nature of the mind and the essence of the mind. It's still part of the activity of the mind. And to be very concentrated and still and see it as an activity of the mind and see that it's possible to give the mind a vacation, a radical vacation where there's no, there's, the mind is not involved in constructed activity. It's not doing anything anymore. Um, and then give, letting the mind take a deep, deep kind of rest or letting go um, is the doorway to liberation, to freedom. Um, and so one of the paths to the awakening, liberation that Buddha taught is through loving kindness. Um, and so that's quite something, especially for people who um, sometimes they, the way they hear Buddhist teachings, um, let go of clinging, renounce the world, become a monastic, um, you know, um, give up your anger, give up your emotions, it's, you know, just you know, just sit still and be quiet and close your eyes, you know, it's it's like you know, it sounds like a pretty you know you know, like a religion that's a, you know, number one party pooper. And, uh, you know, where's the heart? Where's the, you know, the joy and all that? Sometimes people hear it that way. There's no joy and no heart in the kind of teachings. And sometimes it does seem kind of austere how it's taught occasionally. And, um, but that's not, I think, what the Buddha was teaching. Um, in fact, there's a lot of joy and uh, emphasis on, on peace and contentment and, and, um, and these beautiful qualities of heart, like loving kindness, that are an important part of the path. So it's nice to know that. And um, so for me, um, I was trained in the Zen tradition initially, which was much more of the kind of austere, you know, we just sit with the truth. You know, <laughs> you know we just get to the, we get to the matter of the heart, we get to the heart, the essence of liberation, we get to the essence of the true practice of Buddhism, you know, directly and immediately, and we just sit there and, you know, be it. Be, you're supposed to be a Buddha. And none of this, you know, gradual stuff and practice, you know, and certainly none of this kind of sentimental stuff. You know, love, you know. And um, when I was doing Zen practice. And so when I came to uh, this tradition that we're in here, the Theravadan tradition, when I was first introduced to the practice of loving kindness, um, I ignored it. And when I, uh, my teachers started doing guided meditations on loving kindness, I tuned them out. And, um, but what happened to me was the practice of mindfulness as I settled and relaxed and my heart opened up, that then the capacity, I think, which is universal of all of, and all, it's in our heart somewhere, maybe it's buried, but the capacity to feel kindness, love, tenderness, goodwill, uh, started to kind of appear for me. And I, it was quite beautiful uh, that it, you know, when it started to appear on meditation retreats. And then when they started talking about loving kindness, so oh, that's what they're talking about. And then I got to appreciate it. And now I think it's you know one of the best things going. But you know I was a slow learner. So uh, 
so goodwill, loving kindness. A simple way of understanding it is that you would like, it's your wish that someone, could be you or someone else, be happy. And if you have some experiential sense of what it's like to be happy yourself, maybe once in your life you were happy, and you remember that time, then you, uh, it's a beautiful thing to wish that for others. And uh, may, may that person be, be happy and peaceful and have a sense of well-being, be safe. And um, there's something about that wish, not as an abstract idea that you know, you're supposed to think those thoughts, but as an attitude, as something that's maybe a little more heartfelt or a little deeper than just kind of, you know, a memorized idea. Uh, that's one of the, I think, one of the beautiful things that, uh, of human being. The fact that we have the capacity to have some friendly caring for others is a beautiful thing. And it's beautiful not because, in the, in, again, in the abstract, but it's beautiful because it can come from a beautiful place in our own hearts. And one of the great surprises for me in doing Buddhist practice was how much beauty there is in the heart. And, uh, and to relax and settle and get focused enough to let some of this inner beauty shine forth is a great thing. And the beauty of loving kindness is a wonderful thing to tap into. And to discover that it's in oneself uh, is to discover that there are, that you have within you, within you a tremendous wealth and a wealth that's probably much more important than physical wealth, material wealth. So that's the introduction for the day. And um, so what I thought we would do is take about 15 minutes for a silent break. And um, maybe we should do a little bit more. Let's do 20 minutes for a silent break. And uh, you can go out and walk and get some fresh air and do walking meditation if you'd like, go to the bathroom, have tea. Whatever seems nice to you, whatever's, you know, if you had goodwill and cared for yourself, how would you take care of yourself during these 20 minutes? And, uh, and then uh, we'll come back at uh, 10.50 uh, and then we'll do uh, another meditation, a guided meditation on loving kindness. Thank you.